The wages of sin are going up and up and up. Electricity from the air? Mm, Tesla could have been right. In fact, Tesla was right. And idiots on trains. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. We are live, however, we are only live on Facebook tonight. There's a problem with my software. I think I know what it is. I haven't technically figured it all out yet. But there is a huge problem with my software. So we are live on Facebook, and that's it. We're not live on twitch.tv or on rumble.com or on YouTube, where we normally are on all four channels. We are, of course, also a podcast, the audio part of our show. Those folks of you, hundreds of you, thank you so much, who are listening. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcast, we're there. Just look for The Jay Sheldon Show. Can't miss it. And subscribe or follow. Thank you for that, by the way. We've got hundreds of people that download our show every week. And uh, anyway, I will upload this video to our usual outlets, Rumble, of course, and YouTube, so you can find it on those channels once we uh, get everything straightened out. But we're working on it. We're working on it, all right? It's just taking a little time. We'll get it figured out one of these days, I promise. Right now, let's figure out what's happening with our favorite little lady. Hello? Miko Update. <laughs> There you go. Miko update. Yeah, she's doing great. Thank you. Uh, she's uh, eating by herself without us having to hand feed her. So she's gotten over this Queen Miko thing she was going through for a long time. Uh, but she's uh, she's doing really well. Had a couple of good walks today. We have a huge event coming up that we're going to. It's at Desa Park City. Now, again, this is just for my Malaysian viewers. What? Zane says, who is we? I only see one guy unless you have demons. Oh, I got demons. I got a bucket full of demons, Zane. <laughs> I promise you that I got demons. Oh, yeah. Let's keep them away for now. Back. Anyway, uh, we have this big event coming up at Dessa Park City. It's in the beginning of August. I'll tell you more about it when we get closer. Although it's not that far away. But there's like 25, 30 Shiba Inus coming. It's a whole group of us from the Malaysian Shiba Inu Owners Club. And uh, it's going to be huge. And it's, if I'm not mistaken, it benefits something. It's a dog shelter or something. I don't know. I'll get you all the details. I'll tell you all about it so you don't miss it if you are in Malaysia or maybe coming to Malaysia. So that's, uh, yeah, that's our Miko update for tonight. Um, we got a lot going on tonight and a lot in the news tonight. You know, everyone's talking about the price of gas in America, the price of everything in America. If you are in uh, Holland, there is no food on the shelves because the idiot Dutch have been trying to shut down the farmers and the farmers have said, as Dan Bongino says, double-barreled, family-friendly middle finger to you. 
and uh, they've done this enormous blockade. The shelves are empty. And by the way, if you don't think that what's going on there affects you, trust me, that is a breadbasket for the U.S. and for a lot of the world. And the same thing as Ukraine, where a lot of wheat is grown that supplies a lot of the world. So these things, you know, it's easy to just turn the channel and ignore it and pretend it's not happening. When there's no bread on your shelves or no milk in your refrigerator, you'll realize you should have paid attention and you should be paying attention. These things are happening. The prices are going crazy. Inflation is at an... Uh, anyway, it's, it's a mess. It's a mess. And proof of what's going on in different parts of the world affect you in your home is my home, which is Malaysia. And everything is going up here. This is an article from the World of Buzz. And like our title of our show says tonight, I can't even afford to die. Price of funeral packages may rise as much as 20% by August. That's a couple weeks away, folks. Malaysians are shocked. Unbelievable. I mean, everything there's been all this stupid headlines is from these idiot politicians eat less eggs eat more eggs don't eat so I mean, you know, whatever you know they have no concept they live up here we all live down here including me i live down here with you guys but here is just another spot where you may not think that it's affecting things and it is 20% increase as much as a 20% increase in the price of funeral packages. Life is tough and so is dying. This is a World of Buzz article. The link, as always, to all of the stuff we talk about is in our show notes. That's our description down below or off to the, wherever the description is. You'll see it there. Now, I know on Facebook it tends to mash all the links together, but they're all there. So you can, you're smart. You'll figure it out. Anyway, uh, while most Malaysians have to rack their brains and find solutions to cope with inflation, some might even need to save up for their own funerals. Yeah, you read that right. It is all about the rising price nowadays, and even funeral packages are not avoiding price hikes. The Malaysian Funeral Association recently revealed that the prices of funeral packages are expected to go up as much as 20%. Funerals ain't cheap, folks. Just, I have no idea what funerals cost. Thankfully, I haven't had to pay for one. But let's just take 10000 as a round figure that's easy to deal with. Do you know what 20% of that increase is? Yeah, easy to figure out, right? And it's a lot of money. From August 1st of this year, they expect that because of the high uh, rising prices of funeral goods and prayer items... Listen to this, that went up from 30% to 250%. A 250% price rise. That's insane. Two days, one night package. Here you go. Will rise from 10,000 to 12,000 ringgit. And the funeral package for a three day, two night package will go from 20,000 to 24,000 and so on. Now, forgive me for chuckling, 
But doesn't it seem kind of funny to have a two-day, one-night funeral package? It's like, okay, my stay's over. Can I go home now? It's just strange the way they refer to these things. Anyway, uh, despite the rising price of goods, the association reminded other funeral businesses out there to be sympathetic during the tough times. Carefully consider if the decision to increase prices of funeral packages is final. Uh, The news has sent some Malaysians into a spiral of questions. All kinds of, again, this is all in Chinese, but it's translated down below in the article. Uh, Some of the comments, I don't even want to think about dying now. Rising price, that's fine. At least I don't have to think about dying now. I can't afford to die, so I might as well work hard and continue living. And another user highlighted how tough is. says, life is tough, and so is dying. A couple of users actually shared their thoughts on funerals in the future, uh, which is more cost-saving. It says, when I die, just cremate me and then bury my ashes under the tree or throw them into the sea. Uh, and another one, I've told my children, just cremate me in the future. It's time and cost-saving, and they can keep the money to themselves. Unbelievable. A decent monthly wage needs to reflect on the person's average living expenses, including a comfortable life and yearly travel. But uh, if you're planning on dying anytime in the near future, I hope you got a good savings account. 20%. Unbelievable. And it's just going to continue. Keep screwing around. Look around and find out, as they say. (laughs) Well, one thing that might be less expensive in the future is your electric bill. Believe it or not, look, if you don't know much about Nikolai Tesla, not the car, not the Elon Musk car, although it's named for that, but... If you don't know about Nikolai Tesla, you need to find out. Just do an an internet search and read all you can. Don't go to Wiki because Wiki is just a bunch of bullcrap. But look for some legit sources about the amazing mind of of Nikolai Tesla. And you will be amazed. But uh, one of the things that he had created or had dreamed of creating was this ability to uh, take things that we plug in normally and just the air would be electrified around you and you would be able to power things without plugging it in. There would be no electrical grid as we know it. Well, I've become fascinated with this site called Big Think because it's amazing. Again, the link is in our show notes if you want to read the whole article. Please do. I encourage you to check it out. Uh, It is a headline that says, Microbes can produce electricity from thin air. Believe it or not, scientists have finally figured out how to harvest it. A microbial organism pulls electricity from water in the air. You know, the air is full of humidity. That's what water in the air is called. Humidity, if you didn't know. But now, scientists have figured out a way, there's a great article picture here, of uh, hidden among, let me read the article, a piece of it. Hidden among the mud in the banks of Washington, D.C.'s Potomac River may be a profound new source of electricity. 
The microbe makes nanowires that produce a charge from water vapor in ordinary air. Every bit of air around us has a certain amount of water vapor in it. That's called, like I said, humidity. Look, this is Science 101. It's not telling you anything hopefully you don't already know. Uh, the microbe makes nanowires that produce a charge from water vapor already capable of powering small electronics. It appears that larger-scale power generation is within reach. It's gonna happen. The mad rush is on for discovering clean, renewable forms of energy before it's too late. Mm, Remains to be seen. Turns out researchers may have unknowingly had it in hand for decades. It's a sediment organism first found along the muddy shores of the Potomac River and reported in a letter to the journal Nature way back in 1987. Turns out this microbe, here's a picture of it, produces electricity out of thin air. One resource uh, says we're likely to run out of, we're unlikely to run out of it. University of Massachusetts Amherst scientists have just revealed their development of a device that can harvest the electricity produced by this microbe right here. Unbelievable. It's a rod-shaped microbe, a Geobacter sulfuredescens is its scientific name. Uh, it's a member of the Geobacter genus, a group referred to as electrogens, for their known ability to generate an electrical charge. Would that be like an electric eel? Would that be an electrogen? Probably. Uh, it was a UMass Amherst microbiologist, Derek Lovely, who found and wrote about the microbe in the late 80s. And his lab also discovered they have a talent for producing electricity, conductive protein nanowires. Electrically conductive protein nanowires. How weird is that? And his lab recently developed a new geobacter strain that would produce them more rapidly and, important, inexpensively. How cool is that? Engineer Jun Yao from UMass Amherst, his specialty was engineering electronic devices using these silicon nanowires. So they decided to work together to see if they could turn the nanowires into something useful. This is uh, some sort of artist rendering of the nanowires being electrified. So they got together and they created a device called AirGen, which employs a, a thin film of nanowires less than 10 microns thick resting on an electrode. I don't want to go all sciencey here on you. You can read the whole article if you want the details. But basically, this allowed them to transport the electricity created by these bacteria through the nanowires and to do something useful with it. This is amazing science stuff, folks. This is incredible. Wow. Read the whole article if you're into it, because it's really cool. The link is in our show notes. That's the description down below or off to the side, wherever it is. And uh, check this article out from Big Think, because it's, uh, it's some next-level stuff. And looks to me like it won't be too long before we actually wind up having something like that. Imagine that. Forget all this ridiculous windmills and all this other crap everybody's yelling about that, you know, aren't really the solution anyway. 
this potentially could actually be a solution. Wow. All right. Uh, Next thing tonight that we wanted to talk about is this idiot generation of kids growing up that... uh, How did we get here? Seriously, how did we get here? World of Buzz articles in the show notes tonight. Thank you, World of Buzz. Hat tip to you. Please, I can't encourage you enough to go over and check out their links. They do a great job of uh, covering not just the big news stories, but a lot of the -the off-the-wall stuff, too. And some stuff like this, which just serves to really cook your donuts. Train user hogs the seat with her bags on a crowded train. And Malaysians are annoyed, I would say, and can relate to it. Here's a picture of this idiot woman. She's in the seat. Of course, she's got her face shoved up in the phone, not paying attention, probably just to cover herself so she doesn't have to interact with anybody. And then on the seat next to her, taking up an entire seat somebody else could be using, maybe an elderly person or a pregnant woman, are all this moron's bags. The quote here says, I've seen a lot of people like this on the train. Selfish. Selfish doesn't begin to describe these kind of idiots. They ignore you even when they know you need the seat. Where is the respect in this generation? Look, you can tell from this picture this is some probably, what, 20-something-year-old, maybe, who has, and again, buried her face in the phone so she doesn't have to interact, so you can't give her an evil eye, while she takes up two seats with all of her baggage, shopping, backpacks, whatever the hell that is. First of all, don't do that. You're an idiot. You're a rude, uncaring, not worthy of being out in society moron. But beyond that, first of all, why World of Buzz would you, would you hide their faces? I say stick these morons' faces right out there in public. Put them out there. Expose these people for who they are, for the idiot, selfish morons they are. Don't hide their faces. Absolutely not. This is a public place, public picture. I would never have covered If I had a shot of this idiot with, with her face uncovered, I'd be blasting that all over the place. The other thing, if you're in New... Now, granted, it's got its share of problems, but if you're in New York, big city, they have transit police, which is a section of the police departments that specifically deal with transportation. You'll find them on the subway, trains, things like that. Why don't we have that here in Malaysia? That would go a long way to solving some of these problems. So, Rapid KL, KTM, LRT, MRT, all the different RTs these days. Why don't you have people walking up and down the train for customer service, first of all, to be helpful, to answer questions, and perhaps most importantly, to tell idiots like this freaking fool, to get her crap bags off the seat so somebody can sit down that needs the seat. It would go a long way to your customer service 
if you provide, I mean, what, what's it going to cost, seriously, to pay some staff members? In fact, I'm going to guess you probably got a whole bunch of staff members who are being paid to sit around and do God all nothing all day. Why don't you give them a uniform, stick them on the train, give them some enforcement powers, the ability to throw people off the train if you want. Well, not when it's moving, although that's not a bad idea for this woman. But no, I can't say that, okay? But if I could, I would. But seriously, we don't have this kind of thing. As far as I know, we don't have this kind of thing in Malaysia on our train system. And we sure should. We sure should. Unbelievable. All right, I gotta switch around here and make sure we're still uh we're still going. All right, hang on. We're figuring it out. <laughs> Give me a second, all right. I'm trying. Anyway, do something about it, would you please? People who run these trains, the LRT, the MRT, the uh KTM, all the different train systems, do something about it. Or you're going to keep getting stories like this, and it reflects badly. Look, it reflects badly on this idiot woman who does this. And she's not the only one. It happens all the, all the time. It happens. But you all need to do something about it. Fast. If people can't be conscientious enough not to be like that, not to be so rude and selfish, then maybe the folks who run the trains and the transit systems need to step in and do something about it. It would help. All right. I missed so oh Zane, sorry. <laughs> I I I didn't have my stream feed up so I didn't see the uh, the chat there. But uh, imagine if undertakers have familiar spirits that ask your dead ghost for deposit payments. Yeah, that would be something, huh? And uh imagine paying for funerals with digital money otherwise known as, I can't believe I'm going to say this, crypto. <laughs> All right, you win for goofy comment of the night. Congratulations to uh, Zane for that goofy comment of the night. You got it. <laughs> Unbelievable. <clears throat> All right, before we get on to our book tonight, we always end at least uh, this part of the show with a good news story. And, oh, man, this is a good news story. This is a great news story. Again, we're a little Malaysia-centric tonight, but some of the stuff relates wherever you may live on the planet. And I know we've got listeners around the world. But this is great. It's from the Malay Mail. But it's a great story, and I had to share it. Caught on camera. A Malayan tiger with cubs spotted in the wild in Perak. Perak is a state here in Malaysia. We have states. Negri Sembilan, Johor, Selangor, which is where I am. And Perak is one of the states in the northern part of Peninsular Malaysia. And they, smartly enough, did not say where this happened or exactly when. But uh, they have wildlife cameras set up the Malayan tiger is an endangered species. Sadly, they are dwindling in numbers. But what 
take a look at this. If you're listening to the podcast, please check out the link in our show notes, or you can check out our video on rumble.com or Facebook or YouTube. This is a trail camera that captured this image of Mama Tiger. And if you look closely, there are four tiger cubs following along, caught on the, uh, on the wildlife camera. How about that? Amazing. Uh, new images of a female Malayan tiger and her four cubs in tow were captured on camera traps in the wild in Perak. In a statement, World Wide Fund for Nature Malaysia, the WWF Malaysia, uh, said the photo, whoops, wait a minute, there we go, the photo was captured earlier this year and showed three cubs positioned in front of the mother with the fourth cub, why is it doing that? Stop it. With the fourth cub on her right. And uh, the executive director and chief executive officer, Sophia Lim, said this was a welcome sight. Indeed it is, especially in the lead-up to Global Tiger Day celebrations, which are coming up this month. And uh, what a fantastic piece of news and an absolutely, let me show it to you one more time, an absolutely amazing photograph caught on the wildlife cam of Mama Tiger and her four babies in Perak. Wow, that is amazing. Let's hope we find more of them, because they are getting few and far between, and they need to be protected. So, as so many of our species... You know, if you're listening from other parts of the world, I know I talk a lot about Malaysia and different things, but for example, this Malayan tiger. We have so many species here in Malaysia that are endangered and not endangered. The wildlife, the flora and fauna we have in this country is absolutely amazing. If you look, And I think nowadays they've probably opened up the board. I don't know all the rules with the pandemic and all that other bullcrap, but you can pretty much come in and be a tourist these days in Malaysia, and I highly encourage you to do that because it's an amazing country. It is a wonderful place. The people... You know, we highlight some of the fools now and then, but these are the 1% idiots. Some of them even run the country. But these are the one percenters. For the most part, look, I've lived here for 20 years now. Not a regret. Not a regret. And the people of this country are the most remarkable, heartfelt, welcoming people you will find anywhere on the planet. And it is a great place. I know I sound like I'm working for the tourist board now, but it really is an amazing place to come, even for a couple of weeks or a little while to visit, take a vacation. Uh, it's incredible. And uh, some of the stuff that we have here, we ha if I'm not mistaken, do we not have one of the oldest, if not the oldest rainforest uh, on the planet? I believe in, in it might be in, uh, in Borneo, Malaysia, Sabah, Sarawak. But... Uh, it's absolutely incredible, and it's an amazing place to holiday if you have a chance. Please, I can't encourage you enough. And while you're here, if you're coming, look me up. I'll buy you a beer, a cup of coffee or something if you're, if you're coming into town. Love to see you. All right. That's going to uh, pretty much cover what we were scheduled to talk about tonight. And now... 
It is time to head on over and start talking about our book. Where is our book? There it is. <laughs> As you know, if you don't, I'm going to tell you. We read books on this show. The second half of our show, uh, we talk about all kinds of cool stuff, including books that we read, and they come to us from the Gutenberg Project, gutenberg.org. They're all in the public domain, so you don't have to worry about any copyright issues or anything. And we have done some amazing books here in the past. We read them from beginning to end, a chapter or a part of a chapter at a time, if the chapters are quite long, until we get to the end. And then we start a new book. We've done The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, Peter Pan, The Little Prince, uh, you name it, uh, Alice in Wonderland, uh, so many great books. And right now, we've moved on to Sherlock Holmes. Each chapter in The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes is a different mystery, and it's all complete in one chapter. We usually take about a third, a third, a third of the chapter until we get through it. And uh, that's what we've been doing for the last several streams, we are right in the middle of this amazing mystery, and uh, it involves uh, Mr. St. Clair, who uh, had a gift for his child that suddenly appeared someplace he wasn't supposed to be. If you've been following along, you can catch up. If you want, just go back a few streams and you'll find the beginning of this chapter, and you can catch up whether it's on our podcast or our video or replay of the show. All right. Uh, so, determined was their denial, the inspector was staggered and had almost come to believe Mrs. St. Clair had been deluded when, with a cry, she sprang at a small deal box which lay on the table and tore the lid from it. Out there fell a cascade of children's bricks. It was the toy he'd promised to bring home. And we'll continue on with our story now. This discovery, and the evident confusion which the cripple showed, made the inspector realize the matter was serious. The rooms were carefully examined, and results all pointed to an abominable crime. The front room was plainly furnished as a sitting room, and led into a small bedroom, which looked out upon the back of one of the wharves. Between the wharf and the bedroom window is a narrow strip, which is dry at low tide, but covered at high tide with at least four and a half feet of water. The bedroom window was a broad one, opened from below. On examination, traces of blood were seen to be upon the window sill, and several scattered drops were visible upon the wooden floor of the bedroom. Thrust away behind a curtain in the front room were all the clothes of Mr. Neville St. Clair, with the exception of his coat. His books, his socks, his hat, his watch, all were there. There was no sign of violence upon any of these garments, and there were no traces of Mr. Neville St. Clair. Out of the window he must have apparently gone, for no other exit could be discovered and the ominous bloodstains upon the sill gave little promise that he could save himself by swimming, for the tide was at its very highest at the moment of the tragedy. And now, as to the villains who seemed to be immediately implicated in the matter, the Lascar was known to be a man of the vilest antecedents, but as by Mrs. St. Clair's story, he was known to have been at the foot of the stairs within a very few seconds of her husband's appearance at the window. 
he could hardly have been more than an accessory to the crime. His defense was one of absolute ignorance, and he protested that he had no knowledge as the doings of Hugh Bone, his lodger, and that he could not account in any way for the presence of the missing gentleman's clothes. So much for the Lascar manager. Now for the sinister cripple who lives upon the second floor of the opium den, and who certainly was the last human being whose eyes rested upon Neville St. Clair. His name is Hugh Boone, and his hideous face is one which is familiar to every man that goes much to the city. He's a professional beggar, though in order to avoid the police regulations, he pretends to be a small trade in wax vestas. Some little distance down Threadneedle Street, upon the left-hand side, there is, as you may have remarked, a small angle in the wall. It's here this creature makes his daily seat. Cross-legged, with his tiny stock of matches on his lap, and as he is a piteous spectacle, a small rain of charity descends into the greasy leather cap which he lies upon the pavement beside him. I've watched the fellow more than once, before ever I thought of making his professional acquaintance, and I have been surprised at the harvest which he's reaped in such a short time. His appearance, you see, is so remarkable that no one can pass by him without observing him. A shock of orange hair, a pale face disfigured by a horrible scar, which, by its contraction, has turned up the outer edge of his upper lip, a bulldog chin, and a pair of very penetrating dark eyes which present a singular contrast to the color of his hair. All mark him out from amid the common crowd of midicrants, and so, too, does his wit. For he is ever ready with a reply to any piece of chaff which may be thrown at him by the passers-by. This is the man whom we now learn to have been the lodger at the opium den, and to have been the last man to see the gentleman of whom we are in quest." "'But a cripple,' said I. "'What could he have done single-handed against a man in the prime of life?' "'He is a cripple in the sense that he walks with a limp. "'But in other respects he appears to be a powerful and well-nurtured man. "'Surely your medical experience would tell you, Watson, "'that weakness in one limb is often compensated for "'by exceptional strength in others. "'Pray,' Continue your narrative. Well, Mrs. St. Clair had fainted at the sight of the blood on the window. She was escorted home in a cab by police. As her presence could be of no help to them in their investigations, Inspector Barton, who had charge of the case, made a very careful examination of the premises, but without finding anything which threw any light on the matter. One mistake had been made in not arresting Boone instantly as he was allowed some few minutes during which he might have communicated with his friend the Lascar. But this fault was soon remedied, and he was seized and searched, without anything being found which would incriminate him. There were, it is true, some blood stains on his right shirt-sleeve, but he pointed to his ring finger, which had been cut near the nail, and explained that the bleeding came from there adding he'd been to the window not long before, and the stains which had been observed there 
came doubtless from the same source. He denied strenuously having seen Mr. Neville St. Clair, and swore that the presence of his clothes in the room was as much a mystery to him as to the police. As to Mrs. St. Clair's assertion that she'd actually seen her husband at the window, he declared she must have seen, uh, been mad or, or dreaming. He was removed, loudly protesting to the police station, while the inspector remained upon the premises in the hope that the ebbing tide might afford some fresh clue. And it did, though they hardly found upon the mud bank what they had feared to find. It was Neville St. Clair's coat, and not Neville St. Clair, which lay uncovered as the tide receded. And what do you think they found in the pockets? I cannot imagine. No, I don't think you would guess. Every pocket stuffed with pennies and happenies. Two hundred and forty-one pennies and two hundred and seventy happenies. No wonder it had not been swept away by the tide. But a human body, well, that's a different matter. There was a fierce eddy between the wharf and the house. It seemed likely enough the weighted coat had remained when the stripped body had been sucked away down the river. But I understand that all the other clothes were found in the room. Would the body be dressed in a coat alone? No, sir, but the facts might be met speciously enough. Suppose the man Boone had thrust Neville St. Clair through the window. There's no human eye which could have seen the deed. What would he do then? It would, of course, instantly strike him that he must get rid of the telltale garments. He would seize the coat then and be in the act of throwing it out when it would occur to him that it would swim, not sink. He has little time, for he's heard the scuffle downstairs when the wife tried to force her way up. And perhaps he'd already heard from his Lascar confederate the police were hurrying up the street. There was not an instant to be lost. He rushed to some secret hoard where he had accumulated the fruits of his beggary, and he stuffs all the coins upon which he can lay his hands into the pockets to make sure of the coat sinking. He throws it out, and would have done the same with the other garments, had he not heard the rush of steps below, and only just had time to close the window when the police appeared. Well, certainly sounds feasible. Well, we will take it as a working hypothesis, for want of a better... Boone, as I've told you, was arrested, taken to the station. But it could not be shown that there had ever been anything against him. He had for years been known as a professional beggar, but his life appeared to have been very quiet and innocent one. There the matter stands at present, and the questions which have to be solved. What Neville St. Clair was doing in the opium den? What happened to him? When there, where is he now, and what Hugh Boone had to do with his disappearance, are all as far from a solution as ever. I confess, I cannot recall any case within my experience 
which looked at the first glance so simple, and yet which presented such difficulties. We'll continue this on our next stream on Saturday night, The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> cool beans. All right, folks, thanks so much. We are live tonight on Facebook only. I will get this uploaded to uh, rumble.com and our YouTube channel. Uh, so you'll be able to check out the rebroadcast there. Uh, yeah, I think that's just about going to do it for tonight. Cool beans. I will see you again on Saturday night. And uh, be sure and join us. Thank you, by the way, for all the folks who've signed up for our podcast, the audio part of our show. You can find that on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, wherever you get your podcasts, Geo7 in India, and uh, we will see you again. That's the Jay Sheldon Show. I'm Jay Sheldon. Have a good night. Ha, ha, ha.